Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time to study your word, for me to do my best to share with your people what your word says on the topic of sound doctrine. Lord, for the next couple of months, we're going to be talking about doctrine um, because it's very crucial for the church. Jesus, we know that this is what you've called us to. Thank you that when the early church was born on the day of Pentecost, that the apostles taught the people doctrine because it's one thing to feel good, but we want to know what we're supposed to be feeling good about. We want to have right information that leads to right application and even right feelings. So help us, Lord, to know what your word says. Give us balance. Give us perspective. Give us insight. Help us now. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In a series entitled Sound Doctrine, Knowing What You Believe and Why You Believe It. So in weeks to come, we're going to tackle a number of key doctrines in the church. And as you'll see on the platform from our wonderful team, um, stage to core team, uh, the Bible is put here because it's central, what the Bible says. And not so much what I say, but what I say that the Bible says is the difference maker for all of us. And so today I'm going into part two of what sound doctrine sounds like. What does sound doctrine sound like? Next week we'll jump into bibliology. We'll spend a couple of weeks talking about the Bible. From there we'll talk about God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about salvation. We'll talk about a number of things. But today we're still laying the uh, foundation for sound doctrine, what it sounds like. And we saw last week that sound doctrine sounds like doctrine that is balanced in the whole counsel of God's word and is in accordance with the gospel. So that's the premise that I will prove today. What is sound doctrine? What does it sound like? It sounds like teaching that is balanced versus teaching that is imbalanced and is balanced in the whole counsel of God's word and not half of the counsel of God's word. And it is in accordance with the gospel. So stay with me, please. Uh, we may even put these notes up on the website so that in case you don't take them well today, we'll make them available for you. We learned last week that the first use of the word sound in the Bible, in the New Testament, was in the gospel of Luke when Jesus spoke about the prodigal son, when he had come back and the kazaza ceremony did not occur where he could have been hurt by the villagers because he left his father, took the inheritance. But he came back and his father ran to protect his son from the kazaza happening where they would hurt him for disrespecting his father. The father protected his rebellious son. And so the Bible says he came back safe and sound. So the English word sound in our Bibles is translated from the Greek word hujiaino, which means to be sound in health, to be wholesome, to be balanced. Hujiaino is where we ended up getting the word hygiene from. So when you have good hygiene, you are healthy. When you have sound doctrine, you have healthy doctrine. And here's what Paul said to Timothy about sound words and sound doctrine. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Hold fast the pattern of sound words. That's hujiaino. 
which you have heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. So young preacher, hold on to sound words. Second Timothy chapter four, verse two, Paul says, Timothy, preach the word, exclamation point. Be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. So people will not want the truth in the latter day. They will want lies. First Timothy chapter 4 says that in the latter day, people will depart from the faith and believe doctrines that are taught by demons and hypocritical liars. So there will be a distaste for sound doctrine. Because for some people, it is boring. We don't want to hear that. Get to the good stuff. But we know that this is the good stuff. Because if we're not right on doctrine, we can't be right on application or how we live our lives. And so for some people, sound doctrine is uneventful, it's uninspiring, it's unstimulating. And so they go out, according to 2 Timothy, and they find teachers to tell them what they want to hear. Because their ears are itching for certain teachings and principles and doctrines. And so rather than hearing the core of the scriptures... They want these ideas and these dreams and these stories and these fables and these perspectives. So they go out and they grab teachers. They heap up teachers to tickle their ear or to scratch the itch in their ear because there's a certain sound that these people want. There's a sound I'm looking for, and it's called sound doctrine. But for some people, there's a sound they're looking for, and it's the stuff that they want to hear that makes them happy, that makes them feel good. But how many of us have doctors that when we go to them, sometimes they tell us stuff we don't want to hear, but it's stuff that we need to hear. That's when you have a good doctor, and they know how to present truth to you in love when they tell you that something is wrong with you. We don't want to go to doctors who's always going to give us a lollipop and say, oh, everything's fine, and I'm walking out of there, and I am still undiagnosed. I am still sick. So a good pastor, a good preacher, a good Bible communicator will speak the word, and not so much all these stories that tickle people's ears. Um, the Bible says in Titus chapter 2, verse 1, this is what he, Paul says to another young minister, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Because some things are not proper. Some things are not meant to be said. They don't coincide with sound teaching. And so you see Paul saying this over and over again. And we said last week that there's no such thing as perfect doctrine. But God does expect us to have sound doctrine or healthy doctrine. The reason why we can't have perfect doctrine, even though the Bible is perfect, is because we are imperfect and we are still in process and we are still learning. And so we want to be open. We want to be teachable. We want our doctrine to be like wet cement. Uh, it's going to harden, but it's still moldable. And so, yes, Lord, I'm still moldable. Teach me your way. Don't get so anchored and entrenched in a position that there's no leeway for the Holy Spirit to have to maybe teach you a new thought that is consistent with his word. No one knows it all. Paul said young preachers have sound doctrine, healthy doctrine, wholesome, and as we'll see, balanced. So point number one, sound doctrine, strong tower, this multiracial, multigenerational, multi-gifted, multi-economic, how do y'all stay together? Well, we keep the main thing the main thing. We preach from the main book. We talk about the main one. 
And so point number one, sound doctrine is teaching that is balanced in the whole counsel of the word of God. So we're not New Testament only people. We don't just camp out in the Old Testament. We use all of it. All of it is scripture. All of it is inspired by God. All 66 books, 39 in the Old, 27 in the New, completing one volume that focuses on Jesus Christ from Genesis to Revelation. Our teaching has to be balanced in the whole council. In Acts chapter 20, verse 27, this is what Paul said to the elders at Ephesus. He said, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. He said, when I was with you, and I told you all that false teachers would come in and try to tear this church up. But while I was with you, I taught for three years the whole counsel. Not just the parts I liked, but also the parts that stretched me and challenged me. He was holistic. And all Paul had at that time was the Old Testament. Because the New Testament was being lived out. The New Testament was being written. So all of the Old Testament was enough to help the people of God then. But now we have the New Testament as well. So how much more should we use the whole counsel of God and not just the pieces and parts that help support our perspectives and our denominational backgrounds and so forth? Um, and remember, in Ephesus, there was an issue going on because this issue was prevalent in the first century when Christianity was born. Christianity was birthed out of Judaism, but it was not be Judaism. It, it has Judaistic roots, but Christianity is not Judaism. So when Jewish people were coming to the faith, they did not want to lay down their laws. But the gospel called for them to lay down their laws. And it also challenged them not to try to place those laws on Gentiles who were becoming Christians. That is saying that they had to be circumcised or keep the law of Moses to be saved. No, they contended that it was by faith in Jesus that a person is reconciled. Just like Abraham was in the Old Testament when he was, he trusted God, the Bible says, and his faith was counted to him as righteousness, and this happened before circumcision came. So it's not a work that makes one right. It is faith that makes one right. And so Paul would preach this message because in Ephesus there were Judaizers, people who said you had to have Jesus and the law. Acts 15 gets into the Jerusalem council where the elders came together and said, no, that is not the case. But even though the elders of the church made a definitive word that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus, that didn't mean that the leaven of Judaizing disappeared. Because when Paul wrote Philippians, same thing was going on there, and he called those people dogs. He said, beware of dogs, because they put so much emphasis on flesh and performance. He said, beware of dogs. And there are dogs from the first century to now who focus on laws and rituals and rules, which is just nothing but religion. And so Paul is like, no, 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 no. In Ephesus, man, teach the whole council. And not only did you have Judaizers, you had the Gnostics. Because when the Gentiles were coming into the kingdom, they came in out of a time of philosophy and enlightenment where they, they, they tried to be one with God, but they had this belief that they could do anything with their body because material was evil. So I can do what I want with my body and still worship God with my spirit. So Paul also had to address that. So you almost had extremes, people who felt like I got to keep the law and people who felt like I can do anything. And so right there in the middle, the gospel had to, to, to be the chief thing in the church. 
And as I was telling my wife this past week, not only do we have Judaizers today, um, you know, Pharisees and all that kind of stuff, and all of us have a degree of Pharisee in us. We're recovering legalists, and we need God to help us. That the law that we ought to live under is the law of love, not the law of man, the law of love. Jesus said, hang everything on loving God, loving your neighbor, loving yourself, everything else. The Ten Commandments get fulfilled when that happens. My focus is not the Ten Commandments. My focus is on loving God, loving my neighbor, and loving myself. When that happens, through his power, the Ten Commandments get fulfilled in my life. So it's about a changing of perspective. But as my wife and I were talking about it, I said, you know, modern-day Gnosticism is still prevalent today, where there are a lot of Christians. If they're not legalists, they come to Christ and say, well, I love God with my spirit, but I can do whatever I want to do with my body. In other words, I can come to church and be sanctified for two hours, but any other time I do what I want to do. Or you see many of the gospel or, or the uh, mainstream singers or actors in Hollywood, and it seems like they separate their faith from what they do, that they live crazy lives, say things that seem to be contrary, but yet they claim to be Christian. That's a form of Gnosticism. I can do whatever I want to do, but still have a relationship with God. It's like, oh, these folks need encouragement. They need somebody to disciple them, to know that for Christians, everything is sacred. There is no divide between sacred and secular. Oh, man, I'm going too deep right now. Everything is sacred. Why? Because the earth is the Lord and everything that's in it. Everything you do, do all to the glory of God. So whether I am listening to the old rugged cross in my car or I'm listening to earth, wind, and fire in my car, it's a sacred moment where I am enjoying the creation of God and enjoying God himself. I know I done lost somebody right now. But then there's a fine line, though. There's a fine line because Gnosticism, just like any other sin, is very subtle. And that's why the Holy Spirit is in us as the one who says, wait a minute now, hold on, hold on. Come on back. You're going too far, either into legalism or into libertinism. Lord, keep me balanced. Keep me balanced. And therefore, I need to have a balanced feeding of your word because you could take a verse out of context and make it say whatever you want it to say. So therefore, we have to interpret scripture with scripture. So balanced in the whole council, which is the Old Testament, the New Testament, because there are things that are concealed in the Old Testament that are only revealed in the New Testament. And so I ask the question, where are you out of balance? We all get out of balance. Um, your car gets out of balance, which is why we need front-end alignments. We get out of balance. That's why we come to worship God. The women have these, uh, what do you all, ca calibrations to get us back, to get you guys back, because we all tend to get off balance through the wear and tear of life. And we hear things, and we're, we can sometimes get blown around. And so sometimes we get out of balance and I run into Christians all the time. Sometimes I'm that Christian. I'm a little bit out of balance. There are Christians who are out of balance with election and free will. We talked about that last week. They focus on this part of what the scripture says, but not that part of what the scripture says. You know, as it pertains to election, for some Christians, that's a bad word. But it's a biblical word. We would not be saved, according to R.C. Sproul, if God did not make the first move. He made the first move. We did not, could not make the first move towards God. He chose us. He predestined us in love. But that doesn't mean that man is a robot, man is a puppet, that man has no responsibility in the salvific process. Uh, God gives us the ability to believe in him, but you also read things in the scripture where it looks like Jesus gave people a choice. He would say, on one hand, no one can come to me unless my father draws him. But then he would say to the Jews, 
like a hen that was brooding over its chicks. I wanted you to come to me, but you were not willing to come. So, yes, there's a choosing, but there's also a part from man where man responds to the love of God, where man chooses God. It's a mystery. It's not going to always fit real nice into a systematic box. That's why we have to have grace. Elder-led congregations versus congregational-led congregations. Some of us come from churches, man, elders lead. Some of us come from churches where the congregation votes. Who's right? Who's wrong? Well, God gives us a lot of grace to be able to have different kinds of churches. He doesn't so much focus on the form that the church should take. God is more concerned about the, the, the function of the church because we can have the right form all day long. But if we're not being the church, what good is it if you got the right uh, church government? This is the right way to lead. Man, elder-led churches work. Congregational-led churches work because God is the one at work. But we get out of balance. And when we get out of balance, we start arguing. Some people say tongues are for everybody. Some people say tongues are for nobody. Some people say you got to get baptized in Jesus' name. Some people say you got to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Some people say you got to be baptized and dip three times. Some people say you got to be sprinkled. All of this stuff that goes on, and we get out of balance, and we start fighting over stuff. And a divided body can't really make an impact in the world. Now, uh, coming up in uh, a couple of weeks on October the 5th, uh, the church in Middle Tennessee is getting together. It's called the Sacred Assembly. And we are coming together, various churches, various denominations, all that stuff. We are coming together to call out to God, to cry out to God for help in the church, in the country, and for Israel. We're going to pray, and there's a program that's being put together. I will tell you more about it, but it's on August the October the 5th at 5 o'clock p.m., Legislative Plaza in Nashville. Pastor, why are you bringing that up? I'm bringing that up because you have different kinds of churches coming together, but we recognize there's only one head of the church. There are different ways of doing things. We see things differently. If I were to look at the Milky Way tonight, my perspective is different from someone who's looking at it in Australia. It's the same Milky Way, but we have a different perspective because the Milky Way is so big that it can handle many perspectives. And so the kingdom is so big that God can handle different perspectives as long as we stay in line with the Bible. But we'll agree to disagree on stuff. So I'm going to pray with brothers and sisters who maybe we disagree. And yes, we do disagree on various doctrinal things. But as we'll see in a moment, they're secondary. The primary thing is the personal work of Jesus. He is Lord. He is coming back again. He is the head of the church. We need his help in this life. So we're crying out to God together. We're putting down all of our various differences. Because I've seen Christians become so dogmatic that they become divided. So beware of extremes. Beware of extremes. Oh, boy, this, this series is going to be something. Point number two, my final point. Not only should sound doctrine, it sounds like teaching that is balanced, balanced in Scripture. I know people who believe you can lose your salvation, and they'll take a couple of Scriptures and, and try to prove their point. I have a different view. I see this in the Bible. So let's, can we talk about it? Can we talk about it? Let's not break fellowship over it. I, I don't believe women should be pastors, but some of you do believe that. Your mama is a pastor. Let's not break fellowship over that. Can we have some kind of balance? Because here's the thing. If I make it about me, that means I got to win an argument. But it's not about me. It's about the Lord. So I can dialogue with you. 
I don't have to debate with you or win an argument with you. But when it's about me and what my ancestors taught me about God, then I have to hold that position and be entrenched. Even if the Lord is saying, open up, you might just learn something. But if I learn something, that may mean that my mama is wrong or my pastor was wrong or John MacArthur was wrong or Joyce Meyer was wrong. Wait a minute, hold on now. It's about the Lord. Oh, man, I hope that you will still love me after this series. That's all right. The Lord loves me. And I'll try not to put any preacher on blast. But I just might every now and then say something because we're under strict judgment. So if I say something crazy, put me on blast. Come up to me with scripture, not just saying I don't like what you said. Prove where you're coming from with scripture. And let's sharpen each other like iron. Let's learn something. If I am out of line. If I say something that is false, that doesn't mean I'm a false teacher. That means I'm a growing teacher. And so we have to, again, let's have some grace on this. Number two, sound doctrine is teaching that is in accordance with the gospel. 1 Timothy 1.9, we talked about this last week. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers, fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Here is what I believe Paul is communicating. He has just been talking to a congregation, telling Timothy, you've got Judaizers there, you've got Gnostics there. You've got people who are depending on the law, people who are depending on the flesh. So here's what I want you to do. You need to let them know that if you live under the law or according to your flesh, that is contrary to what is sound. You're not to live by the law. You're not to live by your flesh. That is out of balance. And then he goes on to say to that congregation, he says to us, because sound doctrine is according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. So sound doctrine is in accordance with, or as the NIV says, it conforms to the gospel. Paul, what does that mean? Here's what I believe Paul is saying. Sound doctrine conforms to, is in accordance with the gospel. Because the gospel is the chief thing. We can sit over here all day and talk about women's roles in ministry and, and the works of the Holy Spirit and words of prophecy and the color of the carpet and should women wear pants and makeup. And we get on all that stuff that Christians divide over, but we miss the main thing. The bullseye is the gospel, but we make other things the central issue. But sound doctrine measures itself against the gospel. The gospel does not measure itself against your perspective that your mother taught you in First AME Zion Church, Mount Pisgah. It, you know, hey, but we elevate things that are secondary when that's what the devil wants us to do. But let's elevate the person and work of Jesus, the good news, and all this other stuff will have its place. That's where we can agree to disagree because we agree on the person and work of Jesus. That's how it's supposed to work. So, Pastor, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that God, out of love for us, has provided salvation for sinners by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. That should be your criteria for determining what church you become a part of. The criteria should not be solely 
how they baptize. The criteria should not be solely any other position. It should be meant, what do they believe about the gospel? And I'm here to let you know the way I believe the Bible teaches it and the way I'm going to teach it here is that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. We do not attach any kind of work to the gospel because the minute you do that, it's not good news, it's bad news, and it puts attention on man and takes attention off of Jesus. I will die, I will fight for the person and work of Jesus, but, man, I'm not fighting over head coverings. You know, should a woman wear head coverings? And I'm not fighting over that stuff. I have an opinion. <clears throat> That's one reason I believe Strong Tower has been able to survive in the midst of all of our differences because we recognize our oneness. Our oneness outweighs our differences. And so the gospel, the minute we start preaching works-based righteousness, leave this place. Get out of here. And that will never happen. Man, I'll step down. No, no, no. It, it won't happen. No. I, I, mm, the grace of God. Mm, 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 mm. Got to beware of dogs. Paul was so serious about this, y'all, this gospel piece. Look at Galatians 1.6. Paul said, I marvel. He said to that church that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Paul said, I gave y'all the gospel. Now y'all are turning to that thing where you got to live right. Wait a minute now. Hold on. Got to live right. Yeah, I know a Christian should live right, but wait a minute now. It's going to be Christ working through me to live right. But usually where I come from, living right means you can't go to the club, you can't smoke, can't drink, can't dance, can't do nothing. That's living right. Am I, is anybody with me or am I by myself? That's living right. No, that's cultural conformity. I like how Augustine said it. Love God and do as you please. Pastor, wait a minute. We're putting the crux on loving God and his love for us because the things that I'll do will end up being pleasing to him. And you may not understand it, but that's okay because you are not my judge. Oh, wow. Oh, I, I got to get out of here. I got to pull back over. Mm, mm, mm. You got to be a member of our church to be saved. That is hogwash from hell. I know y'all are saying, go ahead and say it. Go ahead and say it. Uh, I'll weigh it. I, I, I don't want to lose you just yet. Galatians 1.7. Paul, he said, this gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. The gospel is the chief doctrine. Because if you are wrong on the gospel, nothing else matters. If we are wrong on the gospel, we're going to argue over all this other stuff. But the gospel should liberate us. The gospel should cause us to say, okay, man, the kingdom is huge. 
A lot of different perspectives. But, man, we agree that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. We don't add speaking in tongues to that. We don't add baptism to that. We don't add church membership to that. All that stuff is good stuff, but they are works, and we are saved by grace apart from works. Now, I don't work to get saved, but the proof that I am saved is the works that I do. But let's not get it twisted and make that the gospel, the works that I do. The gospel is the work that Jesus did. I will die for that. We'll break fellowship over that. But, man, all this other stuff, man, we can agree to disagree and do it in an agreeable fashion. Hmm. Now, here's what's tricky. Contained in the gospel are several key doctrines. When we say the gospel is the chief thing, all doctrine is to conform to or be in accordance with the gospel. Within the gospel, there is doctrine. Because we wouldn't know the gospel apart from the Bible. God has revelation. There is general revelation through creation, but then there's special revelation that comes through the Bible. We would not know the gospel. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 4, he says that this is the gospel, that Christ died according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again from the grave. And it was according to the Bible. We wouldn't even have the gospel without the Bible. So therefore, we need to understand bibliology. But then there's theology, the study of God. That our God is a loving God. He is a holy God. And he cannot and will not pardon sin without a payment. Because if he lets sinners go without a payment, he's no longer just. But because he is just, there must be a payment for sin. And because man cannot pay for sin, God had to pay for sin. And Jesus became a man to die for sinful men. So when Jesus died on the cross, the Father crushed him in our place. And it pleased the Lord to bruise Jesus so that he could adopt us as his sons and daughters into the kingdom. God's wrath was fully satisfied in the sacrifice of Jesus. And the minute we add something to the sacrifice of Jesus, we belittle the sacrifice of Jesus, and that's not going to happen here at Strong Tower Bible Church. It's Jesus, 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 but no buts. Jesus, man, Jesus, he did it. He paid it all to him, everything I owe him. The gospel also covers Christology, the nature of Jesus, that he was man because he had to die for men, born of a virgin without the aid of a man. He came from heaven. He never began. He always was the son of God. He is eternal. Doctrine. The fact that he died on a cross. Now we're entering into hamartiology, the study of sin, which goes into anthropology, what happened with man being made in the image of God, but that image being marred because of sin. You see how this thing, man, the, oh, I love how, how Martin Luther said it. He said, this book, the Bible, is so shallow that a baby can sit in it and not drown, but it's so deep that the greatest theologian cannot touch the bottom. And so that's the mystery of our faith. It's shallow where we can get it, but it's deep where we'll never get it. But, oh, I got him and he got me. And so some, my, my, my salvation is not based on me passing a test. Can I answer all the questions? Man, listen, boil it down. I got Jesus and Jesus got me. I believe that he is the son of God. I believe that he came, that he died on the cross for my sin, that he was buried and he rose again from the grave. He ascended. He's coming back. I'm saved. This other stuff, I'm not getting in all that. Should there be music? Should there not be music? Should you lift hands? Should you not lift hands? All the stuff that we fight over, we make secondary stuff. Even It ain't even secondary. Sometimes it shouldn't even be on the list. We make it primary. And if you leave this church over the fact that pastor raps from time to time, man, 
You know that rapping is in the world, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's singing. Singing is in the world. The gospel covers pneumatology, the work of the Holy Spirit. It covers soteriology, justification, sanctification, glorification. It covers angelology, good angels, bad angels. It deals with eschatology, the gospel, man. Oh, let's just camp out for a while. And let's just take our time in sound doctrine. So in conclusion, man, sound doctrine, what does it sound like, pastor? Because I'm supposed to test spirits, 1 John. Because every spirit that goes out into the world is not of God, it's of the Antichrist. The Antichrist is of Satan. Any kind of teaching that promotes man, works, that denies the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ, his work on the cross, it's the spirit of the devil, it's the spirit of Antichrist. So test spirits, test them. And the way you test the spirit is with the sword of the spirit. But if you are not versed in the spirit, the word of the spirit, you're more susceptible and vulnerable to every wind of doctrine, Ephesians 4. And you can be tossed around with stuff that sounds good, but it may not be right. If you are going to church primarily to to get a blessing, you need to get more into the whole counsel of God. If you're coming to church to be happy as a result of worshiping God, that you're not coming here to give God something, you're more concerned about what you get from him and that the barometer of what you get from him is that you're happy, you need to get more into the whole counsel of the word of God. If you're coming to Strong Tower saying, man, I'm looking for angel feathers and gold dust to show up at the worship service, you need to get more into the counsel of the word of God. If you're coming to church and you think that, man, the communion elements should transform literally into the body and blood of Jesus Christ, they're not symbolic, you need to get more into the whole counsel of the word of God. And on and on and on. We all need to grow. We, we got to grow up. And, and, and this sound, it sounds like sound teaching. It's balanced, and it's in accordance with the gospel. When I hear something that's not balanced, when I hear something, now, and that doesn't mean that it won't rub you a little bit, because it may be that I'm not used to hearing that. The Bible talks about politics. The Bible talks about race. The Bible talks about sex. The Bible talks about a lot of things, and so sometimes we're not just comfortable with it. But, man, let's let the Scriptures judge us rather than us trying to judge it. So, Lord, help me to have an open heart. But God is going to speak through this word, and may it be balanced, Lord, with the whole counsel, and may it be in accordance to the gospel of Jesus because that is the primary issue on the floor. Not tithing, all the other things we, the gospel. There was a man who went to jail. And he wrote his mother and he said, Mom, I'm, I'm sorry I messed up. I'm going to be here for a while. Could you send me $500, please? I need that money on my books so I can get some things here at jail. She wrote him back, and when she wrote him back, there was this package that came, and in the package was a Bible. And there was a note attached on top of the Bible that says, Son, I love you. Be sure to pray and read your Bible. Well, Brother Man was upset by that because he didn't ask her to send him a Bible. He asked 
her to send him $500. And so he's upset. So he said, you know what? Uh, now I'm going to write her a letter because she didn't understand my phone call. Now I'm going to write her a letter. I'm going to spell out what I need. I need $500 in here. So he wrote the letter, mailed it, sent it to her. A little while later, the letter came back to him. And it didn't have $500 in the letter. It says, son, pray and read that Bible I sent you. So now he's really upset. And he's like, see, that's how all them Christians are. I have a need, and she's telling me to pray and read my Bible. That ain't going to help me up in here. I need $500. So he ended up serving his time about nine months. Got out, and lo and behold, his mother was there to pick him up. And he got in the car, and his jaws were tight. He was mad. Mama said, son, you all right? He said, mom, I got a problem with you. I asked you for $500, and all you told me to do was pray and read my Bible. And she said, well, did you do that? And he said, uh, yeah, I did that. And she said, are you sure you did that? He said, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. She said, you prayed and you read your Bible. He's like, yeah. She said, uh, give me your Bible. So he took the Bible out of his knapsack, gave it to her, and she said one more time, you prayed and you read your Bible while you were in jail? He was like, yeah, ma. And she said, no, you didn't. You did not pray and you did not read your Bible. He said, how do you know? Well, she opened up that Bible and turned to five major divisions in the Bible. And on each division in the Bible, there was taped a $100 bill. And she went through on the second one, there's $100. On the third one, there's $100. On the fourth one, there's $100. On the fifth division, there's $100. You had everything you needed, but because you didn't open up your book, you did not live the way that you needed to live. I'm here to say that everything we need is in the pages of this book. I'm not looking for $500. I'm looking for God, and he's in this book. I can find him here, but most of us don't open it up. We'd rather for the TV preacher to talk to us. We'd rather for our favorite author to talk to us, but God says, I want to talk to you. Open it up for yourself and watch me jump off the pages into your life. I just might not only change your mind, I'll change your heart and I'll change your life. It's not about right knowledge. It's about right application of the right knowledge. So Strong Tower, let's get into the book. Amen. Hallelujah. Y'all up here to sing. Amen. Stand, Stand with, with me. Yeah. Respond to that word.
trying.